On this episode of DevTalk, I speak to Tom Desain about all the fun things you can do with C Sharp 8. Welcome to another episode of DevTalk. My name is Kerry Lothrop, and today's guest is Tom Desain. Tom is a software engineer at Red Hat, and I'm really happy to have him on the show. Hi, Tom. Hi, Kerry. Thanks for having me. I saw on Twitter that you were posting about C Sharp 8, and C Sharp 8 is something we have talked about on this podcast. But that was before the podcast switched to English. So it was in German with my, my colleague Sven Michael Stübe. And uh, so a lot of the listeners probably didn't hear that episode. Uh, so I thought it would be nice to, to talk about C Sharp 8 and what, what people can use now in their, their C Sharp projects. And but what, what struck me was you are working at Red Hat and you are a C Sharp developer. How did that come to be? So as um, uh, a lot of uh, listeners probably know, uh, .NET Core is here. It's been here for three years now, and it's .NET cross-platform with Microsoft. Uh, uh, Red Hat has been working for the past three years to also deliver uh, .NET Core on uh, Red Hat platforms. So Red Hat Enterprise Linux, uh, but also uh, OpenShift Container Platform and Fedora. And we have a team working on .NET Core at Red Hat. Uh, which builds the .NET Core source code and delivers it uh, to our customers, and we support them. That's pretty cool. And I, I know there are Linux developers working at Microsoft, so it's uh, it's uh, both directions, right? Yep. Microsoft uh, did the major effort of um, making .NET uh, work on, on Linux, and we are contributing to it uh, as well uh, for the past three years and helping them make it even more open source so other parties like Red Hat are able to build it and also provide it and support it. So that means you're not only working there to, to get like the Red Hat co code running, you're also contributing to the .NET Core source code, right? Yes. So when people file uh, Linux issues, we also monitor those and we try to uh, help fix them. Okay, that's pretty cool. And do you um, do you see that being used a lot? Are there a lot of customers running .NET on Linux? So definitely, I think uh, many um, customers that use uh, Windows are also using Linux uh, in some end. A lot of uh, people are also also looking at using containers, and containers allow you to mix uh, different platforms. You can run uh, Java, Go, .NET. There's a lot of adoption of .NET on Linux in that space. Mm -hmm. Now, you've been up to date with uh, the C-sharp developments, and C-sharp 8 has been out for a while now. We're already seeing first signs of, of C-sharp 9. But you have started a, a podcast, uh, no, a, a blog post series of five blog posts. The last one is going to air the same day as this, this show. And there you talk about the the major new features, and it would be uh, would be fun to go through those features one at a time. Yes. So C Sharp eight, it's a major release of the C Sharp programming language, and it first came available, I think, in September with the uh, .NET Core three point SDK, mm -hmm. and now in December we had three point one, the LTS version, which will get uh, a lot of adoption. And with the major version come a lot of interesting new features. Yeah, and I saw it's not only .NET Core. So .NET Standard has adopted C Sharp 8. And also, uh, you can use 
lots of C sharp eight features with like legacy .NET framework projects. Yes. So some uh, some of the C sharp eight features they have a runtime dependency, and that's why also um, there's a net standard two dot one, which means actually that your runtime also supports those C sharp eight features, which mm -hmm. may depend on something that the runtime provides or some uh, attributes that must be present in the, the base class library. Yeah. So what was your first blog post about? So the first blog post uh, was about asynchronous streams. Mm -hmm. And that's a really awesome uh, feature we have now in C Sharp 8. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? So C Sharp had uh, for a long time support for uh, iterating uh, collections, like uh, with the enumerable type in a type safe way but you had to have all the elements already available in memory and now we get like the asynchronous version of that i enumerable uh, where we can wait uh, for the next element to be available in a nice uh, async friendly way okay this is i async enumerable yes and waiting in a in a nice async friendly way makes use uh, if your application for example is receiving data from the network or you have some events uh, that randomly uh, come into your application. So this iAsync enumerable is a good match uh, for those types of events or data coming in. Okay, have you worked with iObservable? Yes, uh, so uh, Erics uh, fits nicely into this uh, picture. And with the iObservable um, model, data was uh, pushed to you and you had to take it at the rate it was pushed to you. Mm -hmm. And this is different from the iAsync enumerable, where you are pulling out uh, new items by uh, moving the iterator to the next element. So you are actually in control of the rate you are pulling items. Okay, so the, the elements could be coming in uh, at a higher rate than I'm able to process them. Yes, this was an issue with the iObservable interface. But with the iEnumerable interface, the implementation is actually aware at what rate uh, new items are being pulled. And for example, uh, suppose you're fetching rows from a database. So in your first, uh, you will first fetch the first 10 rows, and then uh, you will deliver those to the user one at a time. And then you know you're out of rows, you're going to fetch the next 10 rows. That's that's what's possible with iEnumerable. Whereas, whereas with iObservable, the iObservable was not really aware at what rate the elements were being consumed so it would just push as fast as it could uh, new elements to its uh, observers. Okay. And what does that look like in code? If I, I have some iAsync enumerable and I want to iterate over that. So the, the great thing with this uh, iAsync enumerable is that it uh, almost looks exactly like the regular iEnumerable. So when you consume it, you just need to add a wait keyword in front of your for each and then the implementation will provide an iAsync enumerable, but you don't have to care about that. You just get the elements as they are available from that iAsync enumerable. You can just consume them with for each as usual. Okay, nice. So it looks like synchronous code and is not like like anything async await. Yes. Okay, pretty cool. And uh, have you worked with this? So I not uh, implemented uh, one myself. Uh, I've mm -hmm. I've used this with uh, channels uh, APIs, which are a really nice um, API. I think it's uh, not that well known. 
from BCL. Uh, it's been there for a while and it allows you to have um, uh, disconnected producers and consumers. And one of the consumer APIs gives you an ISC enumerable. Oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll watch that. My, my current project, we just recently switched from .NET Framework 4.6.2 to .NET Core 3.1. And uh, we switched to C-Sharp 8 doing that. And, and uh, now I have all, this, all these liberties. I can um, use these features like, like uh, yeah. And we, we've switched some over, but we haven't used IA Sync in world yet. Okay. One thing that's uh, interesting, since you had mentioned uh, observables and IREX before, there is mm -hmm. also uh, like the correspondence of link for IEnumerable. There is a package that does this for, for IASync enumerable, which is it provides you with uh, features to like uh, map, uh, aggregate, project these IASync enumerables into other types. I haven't used it myself, but it's definitely, this is like link for iSync enumerable. Oh, cool. Uh, it's definitely worth checking out also. Yeah, that's that's the, the fun part about uh, reactive extensions is that uh, you have all these methods that you already know from from link and you it's just using that stuff is intuitively. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's the what's your second blog post about? So the second blog post is about pattern matching. Okay. So pattern matching is something that uh, we got a first taste of in C Sharp 7. And it basically gives you a more uh, concise syntax um, for doing some things which are based on um, patterns. And it means that you express how you want things to look and the compiler understands it. For example, you want to uh, check whether type is of a certain uh, variable is of a certain uh, type and express that as a pattern. Okay, I, I hear this is something that is more common in the F sharp world, where it's like the yeah more more of a functional approach. So I think the like OO purists they're going to say uh, we don't need that. We we have a virtual method and we'll call that, and you don't need to have a switch over different types, for example. Mm -hmm. What's, what's your approach there? C-sharp adopts a bit um, of, of various uh, things. And um, I think the, the more uh, declarative syntax allows you to write things more uh, concise, um, which doesn't mean that everything is now packed up, uh, uh, but it, it's more concise and also more clear. And I think the, the switch expression, which was added in C-sharp 8, is a, a perfect example of that. Okay, well, what are the, some of the things you can do now that were not possible before? So this uh, switch expression um, is like a switch statement, which we had before, but uh, it now produces a value. It has become an expression, and it's really made for producing a value. So you have the, your case statements, which are patterns, so they can check various things on the input value, and then mm -hmm. each of the cases maps to a single value. And this gives you this really nice uh, syntax where you have one line per case, uh, whereas in a regular switch uh, statement, you would have at least three lines per case to do the proper formatting. So everything is condensed and you, uh, thanks to the patterns, you have really uh, expressive powers to say what the conditions are mm -hmm. for your different cases. 
So it's not not just integer values like it used to be. No, you can check for types. You can now also with C sharp eight check for properties, and mm -hmm. uh, if you you can also start from multiple values, but you put them in a tuple, and then you can match each tuple uh, ele element against a pattern, and you can then, uh, for example, use the discard pattern to ignore uh, one of the items. I I try use this when uh, so the when switching to C sharp eight in, in our project then. Visual Studio, so not not resharper. This is already built into Visual Studio. Uh, told me those places where it said like, "Hey, you could be using a switch expression here," and it didn't show me all the places. And I was wondering what's the, diff the difference there. And then I found out, um, well, there are things that you cannot do with a switch expression, like fall through. Uh, you have you have to have like since it's just one line per per case. Um, the, the fall through doesn't make sense because the fall through is fall through is just leaving leaving off the break statement, and the other thing is you have to uh, you always have to have a default because you, you can't just do the switch and then not do something for for some case because it always has to produce a value. Yes, and th this matches with the uh, uh, with the more functional or direct directive way of programming. And the switch expression is really meant to provide you with a value and not to implement some some type of a control flow uh, because it simply doesn't uh, allow that. Mm -hmm. Any other uh, new pattern matching things? Um, well, except for uh, checking for, for properties um, and being able to collect uh, multiple values, uh, I think those are the, the main things. And mm -hmm. any pattern can be extended with um, arbitrary conditions, like with the is pattern. When you're using an is pattern uh, and you do it in an in an if statement, then mm -hmm. you can uh, just ampersand ampersand and add your additional uh, conditions. And when you're uh, in a case uh, pattern, you can uh, also add the when um, and add uh, arbitrary conditions there also. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that uh, misused. So, uh, in the to the left of the when was uh, like always the same, and to the right, that's where the the actual logic was. Uh -huh. Yeah, or it was always the the same case in the, on the left, and and it was everything was in the when statements, and it was a bit of bit of misuse of it could have been an is, if else uh, construct eh? or ternary operator or something like that. And maybe some of those cases um, we see people use when for. Uh, will actually be possible in C sharp nine. Who knows? Yeah. So your third blog post. What is that about? So the third blog post was uh, published today. Well, on the third of March. Mm -hmm. The recording date, not the publishing date. Yes. And it's uh, about default interface methods. Mm -hmm. And this is something new. Yeah. Yes. The main use case for this is being able to extend an existing interface without breaking existing implementers. Mm -hmm. So interfaces finally have implementations. Yes. And so when you want to extend an interface, uh, the issue we had before was uh, you're now adding a new member, but everyone that implements the interface is required to provide an implementation. But now the interface itself can provide a default implementation for the member. Okay, this is really good for backward compatibility. So if you, right? Yes. 
and it enables uh, new things because um, not only can you add default uh, implementations, you can also add static members, you can uh, add visibility modifiers, you can actually uh, override um, base interface methods and seal them. So there's uh, an entire new way of uh, using interfaces that gets enabled with this default, driven by these default interface methods. I remember this was uh, in, I think, in the Objective-C times. Uh, uh, Objective-C had a feature like this, and uh, the Xamarin people were struggling to to like model uh, th this type of construct in yeah in C sharp. So this this is something they're probably looking forward to. Yes, maybe Swift Swift also has that. You know, mm -hmm. and and yeah, C plus plus basically had this feature also. And people call this trait programming or um, uh, multiple inheritance programming, and that is something that is now uh, also to some extent possible with this. Uh, although I think most C# -sharp programmers won't uh, consider this uh, idiomatic C# -sharp programming. Okay, so we all are, now we have the dreaded diamond multiple inheritance my multiple inheritance problem in C# -sharp too. Fortunately, we, we don't have it. Uh, that's okay. because because of two things. So the diamond problem is the issue where um, suppose you have a base interface and then two interfaces inherit from that base and then uh, you get the fourth interface which is now going to implement these second two interfaces. Or, or a cl class. The, the, the one on the bottom could be a class, right? Yeah, the one on the bottom uh, could be a class. Yeah. Uh, or, or another interface. So we, we now have this uh, diamond shape. And uh, the question is, when someone uses the, the bottom one, uh, what do we now have to call? Do we need to go to the left interface or to the right interface? And mm -hmm. that, that's called the diamond problem. But C-sharp avoids that uh, problem in uh, two ways. Uh, one way is that um, you can't add uh, fields, uh, so state, onto your interfaces, you can only add static members, so no instance fields. Mm -hmm. And the other way uh, C-sharp avoids it is that when, um, for the code, so for the members you're adding, uh, the, the methods, when it becomes ambiguous, whether you want to use the left interface or the right interface, then the compiler will uh, force you to pick one. It will tell you in your class or your most derived uh, interface, whatever, you need to provide an implementation and you need to make it explicit which of your bases you want to call, or maybe you want to call both. Okay, well, that, that makes sense. But so you're saying you can't have real member variables in the interfaces? No, and okay. uh, the diamond problem is uh, probably the reason for this uh, constraint. Yeah, yeah, makes sense, okay. And you, you, can, you can deal with this because you can uh, move all state to your uh, class where you implement it, and you can provide state as a, an argument to to anything that uh, to any member you're calling from the from the interface. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where it's probably going to be used most is that somebody has published in a C sharp interface and everybody has implemented the classes deriving from that. Or like like Microsoft yeah? and .NET Framework could have a default interface. Let's call it I disposable, something that's really frequently used. And if you want to add another method to I disposable, then you break everybody's code. And previously they worked around that by using extension extension methods. So they 
just added new methods that were not inside the interface, but now they could actually add a new method to iDisposable itself and provide an implementation and they wouldn't break everybody's code. Mm -hmm. One thing to, that's interesting here is that the runtime actually needs to understand this feature because uh, it's the runtime that will see, oh, no, this class doesn't implement this uh, interface member, but, uh, but the interface itself has a default. So only, only runtimes which uh, know about default uh, interface methods can do that. So to actually be capable of uh, extending an interface in that way, you already need to target a runtime uh, that knows about the feature. So uh, for example, you can't write a library that targets net standard 2.0, which uh, has a default interface member. Okay. So we will be able to do it in the future. Yeah. Well, well, C sharp uh, three is our, or C, dot, dot core three is already there, and I'm sure that mono people will implement this or have already, since uh, this is something that that they're really looking forward to. Mm -hmm. And now, when uh, when you write your next uh, net standard two point one library, that library uh, will only run on uh, runtimes which support this feature, so mm -hmm. you are allowed to use the feature. Whereas yeah. when you're targeting uh, an older version of .NET Core or an older version. So, so you need to break uh, in some way, uh, anyhow, to be able to adopt this feature. Yeah. I, I see .NET Standard 2.0 is used widely and, and all the, um, the library maintainers have, have switched there or to lower versions, but I haven't seen 2.1 in the wild yet out, in, out there. I think C Sharp 8 will probably be a major driver for uh, 2.1 adoption yeah. because um, default interfaces, may maybe not so much, but, but maybe nullable reference types uh, make, uh, make a good case for that. Yeah, but you leave the, the people with uh, .NET framework behind. Yeah. With .NET 5, things will be, uh, will be in a more interesting place because it will also be like in a next step for uh, for .NET framework. Yeah, and it'll run everywhere. So that's that's going to be what we've been hoping for all these years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So your fourth, we're we're up to the fourth blog post, right? Yes. Okay, that's the one that hasn't been published at the time of recording, but will be by the time this airs. Yeah. So this is a blog post about nullable reference types. That's the big one. Yes, it's a really important feature. So I was listening to, um, I think it was NDC London talk and they, uh, the person giving the presentation mentioned like the most common exception we see, I think this is like a, from analytics data is the no reference exception. And uh, this is actually what this feature is uh, meant to help uh, solve. Mm -hmm. So previously in .NET, we had the differentiation between value types and reference types. And value types were always, they always had a value. Unless you put a question mark behind them and explicitly said, this can also be null. And the reference types, well, they, they could always be null. And therefore, we had a lot of code that expected them to not be null that at runtime then crashed, right? Yes. And even in the most obvious cases, uh, the compiler would not help you out. You can, it, it's so easy to write two lines of C-sharp code and you look at the code, you see, oh, I've assigned null here. I can't be calling a member, but uh, the compiler 
did not help you with that and now with C sharp 8 the compiler will will look at that code it will understand and it will you give you appropriate uh, warnings so what's the experience moving your code base to this feature i understand it's not on by default no yeah you need to enable it so you 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 do it uh, in your project file you add like nullable enable and when you do this on an existing code base you will just get so many warnings uh, actually i haven't turned it on on existing code yet i've been using it uh, for new code and while doing that it's really nice because the compiler has pointed out uh, real issues as i'm writing the code so uh, my experience with the feature uh, when writing new code has been really good, uh, but I think when you enable it on uh, existing code bases, uh, you have a lot of work to do to get rid of all the warnings, which may be pointing out real errors, but uh, but also uh, there can be false warnings. So what's the default when I activate this feature? Will the type be nullable or not? So when you enable it, uh, all reference types are considered to be uh, non-nullable. So mm -hmm. I think that's a, a good assumption. Like we were passing around types and we expect them to be not null. And then you can uh, provide a question mark annotation uh, after the reference type name. And this tells the compiler, well, this uh, variable, it can be null. Yeah. And the compiler will use that uh, information. And then it does not just use the declaring type, but it does a flow analysis of your method. And it will see how you're using this variable, which may be null. So for example, if you put in a block that says, uh, if this variable is null, then throw an exception, then the compiler will figure out, well, past this block, I'm sure that this variable can no longer be null. And uh, it won't give you any more warnings if you try to use the variable. Okay, that's, that's really nice. And I hear it's an optional feature. So if you're interacting with other code, you still have to do those null checks. Like you're using a, for example, you use, you write a library and you use C-sharp 8 and you activate this feature and then you have an, an interface and you say the value passed in here uh, is not nullable. And uh, somebody using C-sharp 8 without non-nullable reference type feature enabled could be calling that code without, with, with null, without you knowing or, because, because he doesn't, He's in a different world, so it's it's. It would have been nice if this feature had been there for C sharp one. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Even now, uh, the the base class library annotations are still being added to all the base class types. Mm -hmm. So and these annotation, well, it's it's interesting. So the flow analysis uh, I mentioned earlier that happens within a method, uh, the compiler uh, doesn't try to derive any anything beyond the method. And for that, the, it requires the library author to add annotations. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you have a method like um, string is null or empty, um, that method has an attribute that tells the compiler uh, this argument that get, gets passed in, it can be null. Uh, but when this method returns false, we know it is not null. And the compiler trusts these attributes and it uses them to do uh, the flow analysis. Okay. Yeah, I haven't haven't dared to turn this on in our, our big uh, legacy code base because I know it's going to break everything at once. I, I think you can do it like f per file and yes. just start uh, cleaning through your code or, or grooming through your code and getting everything up to date. But but um, I, I, and I hear it doesn't 
cover all the places yeah like if you're if you create a new array of non-nullable types uh, what what are the the values of that array yeah there are, there are uh, cases where the compiler can't uh, figure it out like like the example you gave and also in your regular code flow like your design of your uh, class for example uh, maybe in a certain state and in that state you know uh, one of the fields is not going to be null yeah the compiler can't defer that so then you can use uh, the exclamation mark uh, also called uh, the null for forgiving operator mm-hmm. and when you append that to a variable name then the compiler uh, trusts you uh, and knows this variable is no no longer null at that point okay cool and it'll just crash at runtime like it used to <laughs> yeah okay anything else about that feature no uh i haven't like uh i haven't heard anyone who turned it on on a large uh, project and 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 how they dealt with uh with with all the warnings i would love to hear how how that works uh, for you yeah yeah well uh, i'll keep you posted <laughs> but we have have people um coming new into the project and they thought that might be a good good opportunity to get to learn all the code <laughs> mm-hmm. get, get to know all the code i think if your code isn't crashing a lot for null reference exceptions i think the you might not get a lot of value of providing all these annotations mm-hmm. especially if you have a very large code base and it doesn't get touched a lot but if you're actively uh, changing the code or you see a lot of no reference exceptions, this is a, a super great feature. Yeah. So what's your last blog post about? So the last blog post uh, talks about um, three different things. Let's talk about the uh, smaller features first, um, using mm-hmm. declarations. Okay. So previously in C-sharp, when you had a using uh, statement, you needed to have a, a block scope where that variable was valid and then uh, you knew at the end of the block it's going to be disposed. The effect of that is that it <laughs> added some indentation uh, to deal with the, to add that block scope. And now with C sharp 8, uh, you can uh, just put the using in front of your variable declaration and the compiler will infer the, the scope uh, from the uh, variables uh, scope. So looks nicer and has less indentation. Yes. Uh, that, that that's it. Um, but we but all this indentation, it doesn't. It just moves your code to the right, and uh, I I think it's a nice feature. I like it too. But we had discussions in the team. Uh, some people said, "Oh, it used to be more explicit. Like I, this is the variable, and it it's valid from here to here, and it will get cleaned up in this line. And now it's it's a bit more implicit. It will get cleaned up at the end of the scope, or it will, it will get disposed." They said, well, that, that's not, we should leave it as it is. And I said, oh, but the, the C++ people have been using that all along. Like when you use the RAII yes. pattern, you have like, you, you call the constructor and, and at the end of the scope, it'll, it'll just, the destructor gets called and, and that will release any resources. And th- th- this seems similar. Yes, it is. I think maybe in some of those cases, um, your code might look nicer if, you would actually pull out the part of the code that deals with a with this specific resource and put that in its own method. So then, mm-hmm. the, automatically, the the scope will match. Yeah. Well, like our unit tests, uh, like like hundreds of unit tests start like using 
device uh, var device under test equals and then something. And then the scope starts and it, it ends at the, at the end of the method. And it, it's just a lot nicer now that yeah. it's just one using at the top. That's perfect. And in those cases, uh, your scope exactly matches with the, the method. Yeah. And this is also something that C Sharp, no, that Visual Studio 2019 uh, told me about. So there's little highlights here. You could, you could simplify this. Yeah. Okay. And the other uh, two features. So uh, static local uh, functions. So mm -hmm. when you do, um, with, I think with C Sharp 7, we got this uh, local uh, methods, which uh, when you had a C Sharp method, within the method, you could declare another method, which was only visible and usable within that method. Mm -hmm. And with C Sharp 8, uh, you can add the static modifier to it. And that means that you no longer get to access uh, variables from the method or the or fields from the class you're in, yeah. uh, but you need to pass e everything explicitly. And it's it's nicer because previously you could be changing state uh, or variables in a way that was not so clear. Mm -hmm. And now this feature forces you to go and pass in everything as arguments. It was uh, yeah, I'm a little bit torn. It, the, the feature was, well, the, having local functions, I, I think the main benefit was that you can do something on your local variables within that function and uh, modify them or, or get them without passing them in. And uh, and now that's with static functions, that, that must, that's not possible anymore. So it's more like a, it's just a scope, you know, it's just in the, inside, just used inside this function. That's okay. I don't need to have a, another global private static method, but it's, it's just, yeah, reduced to scoping. But I hear it, it improves the performance. Uh, I I think it improves the performance where, um, where maybe where some capturing happened that users didn't uh, expect to happen. Yeah, I think I think there are use cases for for both. Like sometimes you want to make really explicit what uh, variables you're going to pass in or change, mm -hmm. and sometimes your intent is really to go and modify those variables. In one case, you use the static local functions, and the in the other case, the the non-static. Yeah, it's some, something C Sharp is not so good about is the, the making that explicit. What is being captured? What, what what are the closures for my Lambda expression, for example? And I, like I know also in C then you have to write it down explicitly. This function will be available in the Lambda, and then you can use that, or th this this variable will be available. Hmm, it's a little bit different. Okay, and the last feature. So uh, indices and ranges. Um, it's um, it gives you first-class uh, syntax for expressing a range. So for example, you have an array of five elements and you want to say, I want to have item uh, element two to four. Uh, we now have uh, an explicit syntax for that, which is called the range syntax. And it mm -hmm. consists of a start expression, then two dots and an end expression, and that denotes the range and an index notation and the index notation we, we have had indexers since a long time in c sharp but now we also have reverse indexers so we can index uh, from the end okay i've had, seen that a lot of in a lot of programming languages already yeah yeah i really like the reverse indexing because mm -hmm. uh previously you needed to calculate this yourself yeah the, the zero based indexing might have put you off by what and now you can just um, index from the end Mm -hmm. in a in a really nice way 
uh, with this uh, hat uh, operator that says I am indexing from the end. And when you combine both, the it looks just more natural. Like uh, you have this array and you say my start is uh, hat2 and I'm going to add two dots and then uh, default the end to be the end of the element. Uh, the end of the array, for example, then you know I'm going to be taking the last two items from this array and it's really explicit there with this hat2 uh, as a start uh, expression and then you don't have an end so you're going uh, till the end. Mm -hmm. And uh, something that is, well, I, I found it intuitive but might not be to all people is that the the start of before the dot dot that's inclusive and after the dot is exclusive. Well, it's... It makes sense, I think, yeah. Yeah, it was it was an interesting decision and uh, I like how how it ends up it's it's a bit the only thing what seems a bit weird is like when you go for the first element you you say index zero and then you mm -hmm. go for the last then you say hat one and th this is the only place where, where it sometimes feels a bit weird but um you need to decide whether you're indexing from zero or one and uh, the nice thing is that hat one can now be used as the end expression and and mean one past the element, so that that works nicely. Well, you can use hat zero at, as the end uh, because that is the after one after the last because it's exclusive. But if yes, you're using yes. it as an index uh, without the dot dot, then you have to write hat hat one to get the last element, right? Yeah, yeah, it is a bit tricky. Yeah, yeah, both both would have uh, both would have worked. Like the the reverse indexing could have been at zero also, but then it would have had to be inclusive and maybe that had some other implication. I haven't thought it through, but um, it seems to work naturally the way it's uh, it's working now. Hat zero gets you one past the last element. And I saw this is something that is not available in .NET Framework. You have, there's, there has to be runtime support for that. And what I, I, I tried it on an array, regular array, and that worked fine. And then I, I tried it on a list. And that didn't work, and I was a bit disappointed. So list only has support for um, for reverse indexing. So reverse indexing should work. So if you do mm -hmm. um, your list hat one, you should get the last element. Oh, cool. And uh, I think there's a, also a trade-off to be made. Like when you're taking a range, the uh, a performance trade-off. When you take a range from some type, what do you want to return? as a return type, like now for string and array, you actually get a new array or a new string. Maybe for some types you don't want to allocate, but you want to return a struct. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, so th there are some uh, decisions there. And in case of list, maybe you want to make a new list. If you take uh, a range of it, maybe not. Um, yeah. Maybe that decision hasn't been taken yet. It could, it, it could be implemented. But maybe that's one of the reasons why why list doesn't have an array uh, yeah. indexer, a range indexer. Yeah, I guess. Is there anything we missed? Well, those are the main ones I'm talking about in the in the blog posts. A little bit of syntactic sugar, I see that the the null coalescing and assignment, like the the question mark question mark operator, is probably already the the one that's not used as used. That much already, and now you can have a uh, question mark question mark equals, and that'll assign if it's not null. That's nice. What else was there? Um, 
ref structs, a lot of performance things, read-only structs, stack alloc. So yeah, the, the, those are pretty low-level low level things. Yeah, more niche um, and performance-driven features. Yeah. And for, for string interpolation, you don't have to remember if it's dollar at or at dollar. So you can use both now. So just some syntactic sugar. Well, cool. Um, so if people, uh, so I will link to your blog posts, obviously. They should all be out by the, the time this, this airs. And uh, can people contact you if they have any questions about that stuff or, or also questions about, well, using C Sharp on, on Red Hat? So if you, if you want to give uh, feedback on the blog post, you, I, I do tweets every time I, I do a blog post. And you can just send me a reply. Mm -hmm. You can expect a reply back. And um, we have good documentation about how you can use .NET on Red Hat. And also Microsoft documentation actually includes instructions on, on how you, you install uh, .NET uh, packages on on the Red Hat, so those are the Red Hat built packages, yeah. and not uh, not the ones built by Microsoft. Nice. I can be. I you you can you can find me on Twitter if you want to reach out to me on on this topic. Uh, maybe also worth mentioning is that Microsoft the C sharp language evolution it actually happens on GitHub, and there's a repo called the C sharp lang repo. And you find uh, discussions there. Uh, you can make your own proposals. You can participate in. Uh, existing discussions. You can see what is coming for C Sharp 9 and give your feedback today. Yeah, nice. Well, it's a bit like Linux always has been, right? Yes, it's a, it's a more uh, open way of working where we uh, also see community involvement uh, as part of the design phase. Okay, cool. I will uh, link to all that information and uh, to your Twitter account. So thank you very much. Well, thank you too uh, for having me on your podcast. This has been another episode of DevTalk, and we'll see you again in two weeks. Bye-bye.